After a tough loss to the Panthers on Sunday, the Seahawks don't have much time to, to dwell on the defeat, and they've got to get back in the win column with a must-win game against the 49ers looming on Thursday night at Lumen Field. What do the Seahawks need to do to win? We're going to be breaking down key matchups to watch heading into this Week 15 battle on Thursday Night Football here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for Matchup Tuesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy holidays to all the 12s out there. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We have to switch up our schedule a little bit this week because just like the players and coaches, we are on an abbreviated week with the Seahawks set to face the 49ers in primetime on Thursday night football. With it being a short week, Matchup Wednesday sliding up a day. We're going to look at six key matchups, three for the Seahawks on offense, three for the Seahawks on defense, to watch as they prepare for their season rematch, a must-win contest against the first place 49ers. Without further ado, let's get to it. This episode is brought your way by Simply Safe. Simply Safe is home security with fast protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe. 24/7 monitoring agents capture evidence to accurately verify a threat for faster police response. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Visit simplysafe.com/lockedonnfl to learn more. Now for your lead story here on Matchup Tuesday on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Through the first 14 games, Geno Smith has been as good as any quarterback in the NFL. He still is in first overall in completion percentage. He is among the top five in touchdown passes this season and in the top three in passer rating, but he hasn't necessarily been atop of his game in recent weeks, throwing more interceptions than we saw during the early stages of the season and also has had issues with several plays where he's tried to attack with the football downfield. And today he made it clear that he is planning on moving forward and trying to cut down on his aggressiveness a little bit and going back to what was working for him during the early stages of the season, taking what the defense is giving him. And that's one of the reasons this completion percentage was threatening to break Drew Brees' record, at least in the first half of the season. And he's still at 71 plus percent, but he was threatening to push for that. And here in the last few weeks, we've seen his efficiency dip a little bit and Today, his comments weren't necessarily a surprise, but Rob, I'm going to throw it over to you with the comments Gino made today about taking what the defense is giving him and doing a better job of doing that, not trying to force the ball downfield too much. I think that there is a little bit of a balancing act because you don't want him to take the foot off the pedal too much because he has been very good throwing the football downfield. At the same time, it has been noticeable that he is putting more burden on his shoulders and that has led to more uncharacteristic bad throws that are turning into interceptions 
Yeah, it's absolutely correct, Corbin. I mean, I thought that it was interesting that Geno Smith kind of deflected when he got that question right after the fact that he kind of said, hey, I have been kind of making some uncharacteristic, aggressive plays. I got to get back to the player that I was. There was a question immediately after that saying, well, is the lack of a running game contributing to that? And he said, no. You know, I mean, he just kind of very quickly made that adjustment. Before I even break down what I think is going on here, I just want to acknowledge the fact that Geno Smith is showing something that I think very few NFL quarterbacks show anymore, accountability. I mean, he, he called himself out in this case. And so to me, that right off the bat, I was just really impressed by his maturity in that regard because I do feel that he has tried to just raise the degree of difficulty at times with some of the throws that he has made. Now, some of them have been spectacular throws. The, the touchdowns to, TJ, to Tyler Lockett, to DK Metcalf, were just pinpoint. One, the one that Tyler Lockett, of course, took a great deal of touch. The one to DK Metcalf was absolute frozen rope. Both of them were as accurate as you could expect an MVP, All-Pro, Hall of Fame quarterback to make. But at the same time, I also think that, again, the degree of difficulty that he is asking himself to make there has contributed to Seattle getting behind the sticks a little bit. You'd love to see him just kind of check down occasionally to be able to get some of those easy three, four, five-yard plays on first and second down, be able to give yourself a third and two, a third and three, that we saw Seattle be able to take full advantage of early in the season when they were one of the hottest teams, the biggest surprise team, arguably, in all of the NFL. And then when they started going down the slide here recently, it feels like Geno Smith has made some throws. They're trying to justify all this talk that he might be an all pro candidate rather than just taking the kind of throws that you need to do to move the chains, to score the, to score and then be able to keep your defense, which obviously is also struggle, which also has been a big reason why Geno Smith feels that extra urgency, the extra burden that keep them off the field, allow them to rest up a little bit so they can play to their strengths as well. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting. I mean, just as a reminder, the Seahawks fell behind 17 and nothing on Sunday to the Panthers. And that puts any quarterback in a difficult situation because you are in comeback mode and you're down three scores. Now, he attributed to that by throwing an interception on the first offensive play for the Seahawks. So he obviously had a hand in the cookie jar there that led to that quick second touchdown, second score, I should say, that put the Panthers up 10 nothing en route to building a 17 to nothing lead. But that deficit did make it far more difficult for Geno Smith to take those dump downs and and the quick passes when you're trying to play catch up, you need more of those chunk plays. And really that's what the Panthers were giving them the chunk plays downfield. And it's a lot like we were talking about last week on blue Friday. I thought that was where the Seahawks had an advantage in this game. If Geno Smith had time to throw and the offensive line did a pretty good job keeping him clean. So he did have time to throw, but still he uncorked some throws that I don't think he would have done in the first 10 games of the season. And some of that is because he doesn't have a run. Some of it is because his nothing and try to lead them back so looking at the stats it is interesting because geno smith's passer rating compared to the first 10 games of the season rob not really much different 107.2 to 105.9 in the last four games so we haven't seen that much of a drop off in his play in that regard he's thrown 10 touchdowns in those four games so over two touchdown passes per game, his completion percentage has gone down 
almost five full percent, though. And this is really where you can see the difference in his play without the running game and with the defense putting a lot of pressure on it because they're not getting stops against the run. They're giving up long possessions. Big-time throws have been cut in half. He had 18 of them in the first 10 games. He's had nine the last four. That's fine, but still not as many as he was throwing for early. And the big difference, the turnover-worthy throws, he had just 12 of them in the first 10 games combined. And according to Pro Football Focus, the last four games, he has had 10 of those throws, including five in Sunday's game against the Panthers. And so that really is the stat there that speaks volumes. And again, there's some subjectivity to that, but from my notes, there were five plays that Geno Smith could have been intercepted on. And two of them were picked. One of them ended up going out of bounds for J.C. Horn. But he could have had three, four, five interceptions in this football game because he was forcing the issue a little bit too much downfield. So really moving into this game on Thursday night against probably the NFL's best defense in the 49ers, he is going to have to take what the defense gives him because I don't think they're going to be giving him very many plays downfield. And I don't know that he's going to have the time to make that happen given the nasty pass rush of the 49ers bring to the table, led by Nick Bosa. So if he is going to get back to doing things the way he did the first 10 games of the season, and especially the first five, you know, you don't want to have him become check down Charlie. You don't want that type of situation, but you also want him to be more careful with the football. So needs to find that balancing act as he's swayed a little bit too much the aggressive side as of late. Yeah, and again, I think that you, you articulated that very well, Corbin. I mean, I think that the – Geno Smith felt that he had to try to play that Superman kind of ball because of the fact that the Seahawks were down 17 zip. And, and so it made sense to be more aggressive. I think that anybody who's really been paying attention can see the, the, the more aggressive throws that he's made over these last four games. And he has made some incredible throws, which again was reflected in the statistics that those of you on YouTube could watch. And as Corbin just kind of explained, I mean, some unbelievable, throws but at the same time he also has taken some unnecessary risks and that is counter to what Pete Carroll and by extension Shane Waldron have kind of always asked their quarterbacks to do they want you to be a little bit of that check down Charlie especially when you have a dynamic set of three tight ends who can make an awful lot of plays and obviously your whole offense is built around the running game i think that sometimes seattle's quarterbacks whether it be geno smith now or been russell wilson before i think that sometimes they fall in love with the fact that they have two unbelievable talents at the wide receiver position if all you care about is putting up you know those the highlight real plays, getting yourself Pro Bowl votes and things like that. This is a fun offense just because of the talent that's around you. But at the same time, if you want to win games, then I, again, I go back to what Geno Smith said in his Tuesday press conference. He has to be a little bit less aggressive, take some of those checkdowns, and be able to kind of keep the ball moving down the field with Seattle's offense controlling the tempo rather than getting over to a defense that obviously has struggled over the last month, month and a half or so. Yeah, it's all about the ball control game. And you know how much Pete Carroll prioritizes that. And he's had to watch the last four weeks other teams executing that blueprint against his defense with his offense not being on the field. So they're going to be looking to turn the tables in this game. And I think they absolutely have to, to have a chance to beat the 49ers at home on Thursday night. It's time to get to our matchups. Usually this is our Wednesday episode, but on a short week, it's matchup Tuesday. We're going to look at the Seahawks on offense against that ferocious 49ers defense. We're going to get to that coming up next year on our Tuesday edition 
of Locked On Seahawks. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and World Cup. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to Matchup Tuesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I have to double check on that because we're so used to Matchup Wednesday. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to the 12s, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, let's shift gears here to Matchup Tuesday. The Seahawks getting ready for a must-win rematch with the 49ers at Lumen Field. And this is probably the best defense in the NFL. The Seahawks were held at just seven points when they met in Week 2. And those came on a blocked field goal that was returned by Mike Jackson for a touchdown. So they scored no offensive points. The only game that that has happened to them this year, the offense has been able to put points on the board in every single other game. The 49ers stifled them, though, in that contest. So let's get to Seahawks offense against 49ers defense. And I don't think it takes Captain Obvious here to really know what matchup jumps out first for the Seahawks if they want to win this football game and be able to put some points on the board. Yeah, it's slow on Joey Bosa and the rest of the 49ers pass rush. I mean, I think that that it's very similar to the last couple of seasons when Seattle would go against the Los Angeles Rams. They had to stop Aaron Donald. Um, you know, he, Joey Bosa is public enemy number one. You have to figure out a way to slow him down. So is that going to be running the football? Is that going to be throwing those check down Charlie kind of passes to the backs, to the tight ends, getting a really aggressive and athletic outside linebacker crew for the 49ers to have to play suddenly in space a little bit more? But it doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that you actually do it. Now, I'll say this real quick, Corbin, right off the top, is that there are a bunch of reasons, logical, emotional, uh, just locally, or, or just, I should say, um, you know, just here in the last couple of, of days, why you might think that the Seahawks are going to struggle against the 49ers. But, you know, this today's NFL is that every time you think that a team is going to win or is going to lose, that's when everything changes. The Houston Texans almost beat the Dallas Cowboys a couple of days ago. And so I would, while I think that the 49ers have an obvious advantage here at the same time, you are talking about a Seahawks team that is desperate, a Seahawks team that was, as you said before, did not score a single offensive point against the 49ers in week two. So this could be a game in which everything in the NFL turns topsy-turvy the way things have gone all season long. Well, the Seahawks will certainly be hoping that that's the case in their favor, given how poorly they have played over the last month and change. And Bosa is just such a monster over there. 14 and a half sacks leading the NFL. He had kind of a quiet game in week two, though. And we talked about this after that loss. It didn't feel like necessarily the pass protection on the outside was the problem. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas actually had pretty solid games in Santa Clara. 
But in the interior, they could not keep Geno Smith clean. Gabe Jackson gave up seven pressures by himself in that football game. And so this entire defensive line is a really difficult draw. At the same time, Nick Bosa is one of those players who absolutely can dominate in an offense the entire game and ruin their game plan. He's one of those rare pass rushers that can get after the quarterback and get three or four sacks in a game and just completely blow up all of your game plan. And so Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, they're both going to see him. He moves to both sides of the line. They're going to have to deal with Bosa. They're going to need to provide some help from running backs, tight ends, chipping, whatever they need to do. You can't let him take over the game. And then, of course, you can worry about Eric Armstead and some of the other really good players they have in the defensive line, too. But Bosa is public enemy number one, two, and three because he is one of the best edge rushers. He's right up there with Max Crosby, in my opinion, two best defensive ends in the NFL right now. So this is a major matchup issue. Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, you're going to have to bring your A game or Nick Bosa is going to get to Geno Smith often, and that could really ruin things for the Seahawks offensively. Let's shift gears now, moving to the outside. We just talked trenches, and any time that you're talking about the Seahawks, as you mentioned earlier, the star power they have at the receiver position, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, they've both historically had quite a bit of success against the 49ers. That did not happen in Week 2, however. Metcalf <coughs> and Lockett were shut down in that contest by Charvarius Ward and company. And this secondary for the 49ers, they have been stingy. They have not given up many explosive plays. So this is truly going to be a battle of two teams and their strengths. Because again, the 49ers, they don't give up those chunk plays. The Seahawks, they love to get those explosive plays downfield. And it feels like this passing game is much better now than it was at that stage early in the season. Metcalf and Lockett have been putting up some pretty good numbers the last four or five weeks. They're more on par with what they have done in the past, scoring a lot of touchdowns as well. But you are going to be tested here by a 49ers secondary that might not have the name recognition of some of the other top defense in the NFL, but I can assure you this. That secondary and those corners, even with some of the injuries that they've had, they are still top five in the NFL, and they're doing a really good job of limiting those downfield plays. So Seattle, they're going to have to set those opportunities up, and when they do have a receiver get open downfield, Geno Smith better be accurate. He better get the football there because they don't give you many chances to capitalize on that. They certainly do not. And, and you know, Corbin, we just finished, and, or I shouldn't say we just finished, but there was an NFL offseason where there was an awful lot of turnover. There were some big quarterbacks who moved places. You might have heard, you know, but one of the most underrated moves, in my opinion, was Charvarius Ward going from the Kansas City Chiefs to the San Francisco 49ers, and he has been an absolute stud for them. I don't care what anybody's statistics say. He has been the lockdown corner that they've needed him to be Diamador Lenore, the cornerback on the opposite side, is a really good football player as well. He's a playmaker. He's a guy that gets his hands on footballs, creates some tips, and creates some some turnover opportunities for his teammates. He did it at Oregon. He's doing it all over again here with the San Francisco 49ers. If you put either one of those players on an island, then maybe they don't have the, the incredible statistics that some of the other 
cornerbacks in this league will generate, but they come up and they tackle and they're physical. And again, they are able to create turnovers. So I really like this fat, this, this matchup from just a football perspective, not necessarily from a Seahawk perspective. And I also love it from a Seahawk perspective in the aspect of the fact that the Carolina Panthers, obviously with JC Horn, just be DK Metcalf at times. Tyler Lockett is trying to become, you know, extend his record as far as catching touchdowns in seven consecutive games. He walks into this game with six touchdowns in six games at this point. So to me, this is, as you just said, a matchup of strength versus strength. I mean, and so I would love to see Seattle's receivers get as competitive, as nasty as they want to be and try to compete against San Francisco's cornerbacks. You know that Geno Smith's going to get a great deal of pressure. You know that Geno Smith is going to have to probably throw the ball up there and hope that his receivers can make some big plays. So Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, you're pro bowlers, you're all pro candidates. Prove it. In this kind of game, this is a championship opportunity, as Pete Carroll would say. So you need your best players to stand up. And of course, on Seattle's offense, who better to do so than those two players? It is worth noting Emmanuel Mosley is out and will not be playing in this football game. And he played in week two and had a very good game against Seattle's receivers. And so that'll be one notable absence in the 49ers secondary. But they've been able to maintain that elite level of play, even with putting Lenore in the lineup and some of the other rotations they've had back there. This secondary has remained elite. And so it is not going to be easy to get those downfield plays. I also want to make it noted that Marquise Goodwin might be a wild card to watch in this game against his former team, just with how well he is playing. And if there's a weakness for this 49ers team, their slot defense has not been great at times this year. So that might be where we see either Lockett or Goodwin do some damage in this football game if the Seahawks can adjust from what didn't work way back in week two. Again, that's been light years ago. It's been a long time ago since these two teams played. But it'll be interesting to see what Shane Waldron does from a game planning perspective to try to get those receivers unlocked because they were not able to get anything done back in week two. And our last matchup for the Seahawks on offense against the 49ers on defense, I want to stay with the secondary. And, of course, the 49ers have really athletic outside linebackers. We can include Fred Warner in this discussion as well. One of the best, if not the best, pure middle linebacker in the NFL today those players going up against the Seahawks tight ends. I think that this is one of the matchups we didn't cover back in week two because really we didn't know what this tight end group was going to be capable of for the Seahawks. But if there's anything that you can gather from watching that game back in week two, that was the biggest mistake that Shane Waldron made game planning. It just seemed like they came three and sets weren't focused football to their tight ends. That has to be a priority in this football game, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to do because of the talent this 49ers defense has, including Talanoa, Hufanga, their safety, who I think is borderline all pro this year, might even be one of the top five or six players in this roster coming out of nowhere. Didn't have a great combine, not the most athletic guy, but his instincts are off the charts. I've watched this kid get four interceptions this year. He can fly into the backfield and make plays as a blitzer. He can do it all despite not having the best athletic toolbox. And he's really good at covering tight ends as well. So it's not going to be easy, but they've got to find ways to get the football to those three guys. Noah Fant, Kobe Parkinson, and Will Disley to have any chance to win this football game. 
Yeah, Corbin, when it comes to Seattle in the tight end position, it feels like when we've had the conversations about Seattle in the center position, I mean, I cannot pound the table loud enough that this is one of the positions that Seattle actually has a pretty unique skill set. Just like at center, I feel like that has been an area of concern over the last several years. And Hufanga is a great player. I mean, he was a great player at USC as well. As you said, he is not a dynamic athlete. He's not a guy who's going to test incredibly well. But he plays with such great instincts. And then you look at San Francisco's and then linebacker core. And I love that you didn't want to mention Fred Warner. Hell, I don't want to mention Fred Warner either because he is that good. But at the same time, you, you kind of have to just acknowledge what a terrific player that he is and the speed that San Francisco's has in their outside linebackers. Outside linebackers, they actually allow to be able to play back in coverage because their front four is that dominant. And so I do think that it's critical for Seattle to be able to either run the football or be able to get the ball to their tight ends or their backs out of the backfield to, again, make it San Francisco's front four that is trying to pressure you. If San Francisco is able to send more than their front four, then this game may be over in the first quarter. If Seattle can kind of hold that front four, as they did at times in that first matchup in week two, then you actually have a football game where you might be able to surprise some people. So, again, I think the easiest way is just be able to run the football. But we haven't seen Seattle be able to do that since, like, you know, Halloween or so. So I do think that if they cannot run the ball very effectively, then you still have those three tight ends in your back pocket. So get a little bit creative. Noah Fant can run by any one of San Francisco's outside linebackers or their safeties. So get him involved. Will Disley will put guys on their backside. Kobe Parkinson could do the same thing, especially with this height. He's 6'7". So take advantage of that. We have seen incredible accuracy from Geno Smith. So be able to take advantage of the different traits that your tight ends provide. To me, that might just be the most important factor for this game for Seattle's offense. I know everybody wants to talk about Tyler Lock and DK Mecca. I get that. But at the same time, if you actually want to win this football game, I think you actually have to take advantage yep. of the unique traits that your offense provides in one of the very, very few areas in which the San Francisco 49ers are at least a little bit vulnerable. Yeah, that's really the key. They haven't been bad against tight ends, but this is an area that teams have been able to have success against them at times this year. And so you got to take advantage of it. I was just a little mystified that Shane Waldron didn't seem to have that as a big part of their game plan. And Geno's typically looking for tight ends in the passing game, and it didn't happen in that matchup in week two. That can't happen on Thursday night, or it could be another night of very tough sledding for Seattle's offense against this vaunted 49ers defense. Coming up next, we're going to flip gears. The 49ers on offense, we don't know who's going to be playing quarterback. That's kind of been a narrative of the season for the 49ers. They're going to be without Debo Samuel, but still plenty of weapons going up against a struggling Seahawks defense that's going to be looking to right the ship in primetime. We'll get to those three matchups coming up next year on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. It's week 15 of the 2022 season, and I've got Justin Fields scoring three total touchdowns in a high-scoring affair 
with the heavily favored Eagles. That might seem like a bold lead, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players. If they score more or less than a prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, college football, or boxing. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Down to the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to Matchup Tuesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Let's continue diving into the matchups, shall we? Let's dig in 49ers on offense going up against the Seahawks on defense. And let's just start with the biggest storyline coming into this game for the 49ers on offense. I mean, they just put out put up a shutout, a blowout shutout on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with their third-string quarterback, Brock Purdy, under center. And he's been pretty darn good the last two games coming in for an injured Jimmy Garoppolo. They obviously lost their uh, first-round pick from two years ago, Trey Lance, in the first matchup against the Seahawks. He's done for the season. So they've had a lot of injuries and upheaval at that quarterback position, and yet they continue to get the job done and they might have to go with another quarterback in this game because Purdy's dealing with an oblique injury. And on a short week, it remains to be seen if he's going to be able to play, which would mean the well-traveled Josh Johnson would be going against the Seahawks. Either way, Rob, this seems like the kind of game that number six back at the free safety position is probably licking his chops. He better be. You know, as I just mentioned before about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, those are the guys that are getting paid all that money on the offensive side of the ball. Quandre Diggs just got paid an awful lot of money to be one of Seattle's playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. So, again, as you mentioned, whether it be Brock Purdy, whether it be Josh Johnson, Quandre Diggs, you got to have one of your best games of the season, arguably your best game of the season. You need to see – you know, some turnover-worthy plays. And that doesn't necessarily have to be an interception. It doesn't necessarily have to be a forced fumble. It has to damn well be some reliable open field tackling. Some of the thumps that we've seen from Quandre Diggs in the past. And really quickly, kind of going back to that conversation at the quarterback position, Brock Purdy was a seventh-round pick for a reason. This is a guy who doesn't have a big arm. He's a pretty slight guy at 6'1", 205, 210 pounds. But he played in an offense at Iowa State, Corbin, that is just like the offense that he went to the San Francisco 49ers. It's all yep. about running the football first. It's all about getting the ball to your tight end. Of course, we'll talk about George Kittle here in a moment. The, the 49ers offense is beautifully set up for a guy like Brock Purdy. another quarterback that again has played all over the nfl he's smart he is going to know to get the ball to his complimentary players even if debo samuel is unavailable in this game because the 49ers have their injuries as well but at the same time 
What it comes down to is the 49ers have the big guys along the line of scrimmage. And so, again, because they have that inherent advantage along the line of scrimmage, then it's critical that some of Seattle's guys on the perimeter and on the backside in the secondary be able to create some big plays. So, again, Quandre Diggs, Ryan Neal, this has got to be a game where you make some of those big plays to justify, at least in the case of Quandre Diggs, the big payday that you already received. Yeah, and Diggs has typically played well against the 49ers. He's picked off Jimmy Garoppolo a few times since they acquired him from the Lions several years back. And he's been playing a little better football as of late. Obviously, he had his two interceptions. Both of his interceptions this season came in that loss to the Raiders at home a few weeks back. So it would be nice to see him add a third one to the column. And I'm not saying he has to get a pick in this game, but rookie quarterback, a seventh-round quarterback who has thrown two interceptions – in his limited time. So he has turned the ball over a few times. This is typically the type of quarterback that a safety of Quandre Diggs' caliber is thinking, I am going to bait this young man into making a throw that he thinks is open, and then I'm going to undercut it and I'm going to intercept it. Josh Johnson is on the other side of the spectrum. We're talking about a guy that's in his mid to late 30s who I think has played for like 20 out of 32 NFL teams. He has been all over the league. He's been with the 49ers earlier in his career a couple different times. And so he's a seasoned veteran. At the same time, he's never been able to stick anywhere. And a player like that that hasn't played NFL competition a lot, even at his age, that's a guy that's a journeyman quarterback. A player of Diggs' caliber should be looking to make big plays against him as well. So I think this is a game that Diggs can absolutely come up with a big play or two, given the quarterback situation for the 49ers. You mentioned George Kittle. It wouldn't be a Seahawks 49ers game without mentioning number 85. And statistically, he still had a very solid season. Maybe not as many touchdowns as expected at this point, but 42 receptions, 500 yards, four touchdowns. I think this one boils down to him and Kyle Juszczyk, and Pete Carroll talked about this yesterday in his press conference. What makes this 49ers offense so darn difficult to defend? I think Juszczyk is maybe the most important piece that they have on offense in terms of making it difficult for defenses to know what is coming because of his positional versatility. You can move him out wide. You can put him in the slot. He can play tight end. He can play traditional fullback where he can smash people as a lead blocker, or you can send him out in the flats. You can send him out on a post route from there. I mean, this guy can do it all. He is the perfect modern fullback, and that makes life easy for Kyle Shanahan. Calling plays, because you can run all kinds of different formations, and as a defender, a defensive coach, a defensive coordinator, it's the opposite, because you just don't know what's going to happen with him on the field and all the different formations that they can run. Him and Kittle – they really create matchup problems, and they are such an integral part of the 49ers run game because they both are excellent blockers. You can get them involved as pass catchers as well. They are really good all-around football players. And so Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton, we can include the safeties, particularly the strong safety Ryan Neal in this mix. Um, good luck. Now, George Kittle's had some big games against this Seahawks defense. Kyle Juszczyk has had some big games against his defense. Even if he hasn't had catches, he's had big games as a blocker and doing the little things that don't show up on the box score. This is a matchup that always worries me when the Seahawks play the 49ers because of how good these two players are, and it allows the 49ers to open up the entire playbook and do whatever they want. 
No, oh, it really does. I mean, Kyle Juszczyk is a terrific player. George Kittle is a terrific player. But, you know, one guy that the 49ers did not have in that week two matchup that absolutely does put up a whole bunch of numbers in the you know the stat book it would be Christian McCaffrey, of course, who the 49ers made that big trade for, uh, you know, with the Carolina Panthers just a, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And McCaffrey is absolutely dynamic talent as well. So I think we have to just kind of mention that the, just like the Seahawks have a three-headed boss for the tight end position, the 49ers have an even better one because they've got one at tight end, they've got one at fullback, and they've got one at tailback. And all of them are all pro-caliber players. So I, I think that sometimes Seahawks fans get a little bit too over-eager to kind of blast Seattle's linebackers. Jordan Brooks, uh, you know, is, of course, one of the NFL's most productive uh, tacklers in, in all the league. Uh, and I've really been impressed by what I've seen by Cody Barton and just the way that he has kind of ascended. <clears throat> excuse me. He's kind of improved his game over the course of this season. But at the same time, neither of them are at the same level. Uh, of the 49ers three-headed monster here that I just mentioned. So to me, that's what's going to be important is can Seattle just slow those guys down? Because I don't think the 49ers have the talent, the wide receiver positions really to be able to kind of create the big plays. And whether it be Brock Purdy or again, just Josh Johnson, I do think that there are turnover opportunities here that, that could be made there. So Again, I think that if we kind of go back to the conversation initially about Kyle Huchek and George Kittle, you just have to be able to slow them down a little bit. And I do think that Seattle has the speed at outside linebacker, the playmaking ability at the safety positions to be able to slow them down, tip up a pass to one of your teammates to be able to create a big play there. Yeah, you talk about the linebackers. You mentioned the skills players for the 49ers and McCaffrey, our listeners may wonder why McCaffrey is not included on any of these three matchups. It's not that we don't think he's important because he is absolutely important. He scares the daylights out of you with his rushing and receiving ability. You can move him all over the formation. But at the end of the day, the struggles that the Seahawks are having defending the run, I don't even think it's about the running backs that are in the backfield. I feel like anybody with a pulse can run in the Seahawks defense right now. And the big reason why is because they aren't winning their battles up front. And this is a really good 49ers offensive line. So that is not a good omen. Looking at our last matchup here, it's all about Trent Williams and company going up against the Seahawks defensive line. And Bruce Irvin, I've got him on the graphic here for those of you that are watching on YouTube. I have him highlighted for one reason here. He's been starting games, and I like the comments that he had after the game on Sunday. This is a man for the Seahawks. I don't think The guys up front, they've got to fight. They've got to battle. They've got to execute. They've got to play with more physicality. And I can guarantee you this, Rob, if they don't play a more physical brand of football, going into this football game against the 49ers. The 49ers will win this game by 25 to 30 points, just like they did to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If they are not able to set the tone at the line of scrimmage, they are not able to get off blocks. They are not able to penetrate the backfield. They're not able to do those things they have to do to have a quality run defense. It is going to be a long afternoon. The entire front line, they need to take the onus 
going into this game, step up their game, play a more physical, more aggressive brand of football. And if they are able to do that, if they are able to be more physical and more aggressive, it gives them a fighting chance to get this upset at home. The key really is going to be availability. What players are the Seahawks going to have? Because if Al Woods can't suit up due to a heel injury, that is a massive loss figuratively and literally for Seattle's front line. We saw what happened when he exited on Sunday. Suddenly the dam broke for the Panthers. They were able to run the football. And if Shelby Harris isn't back after missing Sunday's game, that's another big loss. If you're missing both those guys, I don't know that the Seahawks have the players to be able to stop this 49ers offense and keep that run game contained, especially with the issues they've had. So really, you know, we could talk scheme all day, but this is about player availability and the guys that do play, they have got to be much more physical. If they're not, this could get ugly on Thursday night. Corbin, you took the words out of my mouth so effectively. I literally just muted myself and just exited the entire podcast there for a couple of minutes. You know, I, I think that when you look at the 49ers, Trent Williams, I think that he is the most dominant offensive lineman in all of the NFL. He has been that spectacular. And, you know, as you just mentioned with, uh, you know, with Al Woods and with Shelby Harris, if Seattle doesn't have those two guys, then their run defense really just does go in the tank. And I've been looking, kind of looking at the body types and trying to project who I think the Seahawks might be looking at trying to acquire here when they do have those two first-round picks in next year's off, uh, next year's draft. And I think that they're going to be looking for those long arm, big physical kind of guys. Al Woods is 340 pounds and has 36 inch arms. And he uses that size and that power incredibly effectively. Shelby Harris, same kind of thing. 315 pounds, 34 inch arms. And again, that's just very different than some of the other defensive linemen that Seattle has uh, on their on their squad. And so if you lose that size, that physicality against a team that runs the football as well as the 49ers, I agree with you, sir. I really think that the 49ers could absolutely, quite literally, run away with this football game. But if you do have both those players, and I feel confident that Pete Carroll is going to have those two veterans ready to go, if at all possible, then I do think that there is a chance that Seattle might be able to make this game a lot more competitive than the betting and general public might think. The key is going to be limiting the number of carries. Can you get some quick stops and get off the field? Something the Seahawks have not been able to do for most of the last month. And that's a perfect segue to tomorrow because normally our keys to victory come on Friday. It's going to be coming on Wednesday this week. We'll be taking a close look at a game plan. How do the Seahawks pull off the upset and Draw a little bit closer in the NFC West. Keep their playoff hopes alive. We'll be looking at offense and defense at some schematic stuff, as well as other game planning measures and much more. We hope you'll be joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, as always, at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on youtube come back tomorrow we'll have those keys to victory a game plan for the seahawks x factors and much more hope to see you then enjoy the rest of your tuesday thanks for listening go hawks